Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, welcome to the podcast. It's my great pleasure today to chat with Colin Cadmus. Colin, welcome. Thanks, Jeremy. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Colin is the vice president of sales at Aircall. They are a cloud-based phone system for teams. Our main topic today will be scripting a sales process. But before we do that, we're going to learn two things about Colin. First, Colin, love for you to share your favorite sales or leadership book of all time and why that book was so valuable to you. There's so many sales books, um, and I love so many of them, so it'd be tough to pick a, a favorite there. In terms of leadership book, there's one hands down that that's beyond my favorite. I've read multiple times, cover to cover, uh, Extreme Ownership by, by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. My last CEO at my last company bought it for me for my birthday. So I had obvious pressure. I had to read it. Uh, and I, I actually got addicted to it. I, I ended up reading it, I think, over just a couple of days. But what resonated with me was it corrected a lot of things that I was doing wrong uh, in leadership. For, for those who don't know, it's written by two former Navy SEALs. And the Navy SEALs are known for having the best leadership training, arguably, in the world. And what they did is when they retired from the SEALs is they started consulting with businesses and they took all of the practices that they learned in the SEALs and started applying that to real-life business scenarios. And the whole book is essentially little short stories about just that. So they'll, they'll kind of tell short little war story, which is like fun and exciting to hear the details from a Navy SEAL. Uh, and then they'll apply the same lesson the, from a leadership standpoint that was in that war story to a, a consulting example that they did with a business. And so you're able to take that back and, and have fun reading war stories, but also learn things you could apply to business. But for me, what it really changed for me, I would say it had the most impact for me as a leader is really the title of the book, Taking Extreme Ownership Over Things. Uh, I'm a person with strong opinions, as many salespeople are. We tend to walk with a high level of confidence and think that we know a lot of things. And to be able to walk away from that and realize that the easiest way to solve problems is often to take ownership over them rather than to find whose fault it was uh, in, in a sense. For me, that was a big takeaway and they get into the nitty gritty about it. But uh, when you adapt to that mindset, it's incredible how much faster you can impact change. Yeah. And we've had other guests who love that book. I, I read it and enjoyed it. I actually followed it on with a little bit more esoteric book called First Fast Fearless by Ed Heiner, which also he was an ex-Navy SEAL and, and tells a lot of those types of stories. And it just gives a, a yet another perspective. So I think those books go really, really well together. So for all those people who read Extreme Ownership, check out that other book, First Fast Fearless. Well, let's go to the second question so we get to know you a little bit better. Love to, for you to reflect on the first thing you remember selling either as a kid or as a young sales professional. I have been kind of selling, I think, things my whole life as long as I can remember. If I had to go back to the earliest memory, it's probably walking door to door after a snowstorm, convincing people in my neighborhood to pay me to shovel their driveway. I realized that you can make a bit of money doing that. And uh, that would probably be my earliest memory of selling something. But I was always trying to come up with ways to make money. I remember putting together garage sales and definitely did the lemonade stand, although there's not actually that many people stopped to buy lemonade, if I recall correctly. But in terms of my first sales job, I guess you could say I actually kind of started selling at age nine. I used to hang out at this 
family sports center in New Jersey. We would play hockey on the hockey rink in the backyard. We'd kind of spend our entire summer there. And one day the, the owner you know, came out and kind of offered an odd job to us. We had to go in and clean a bunch of crap for him. And he paid us in like video game tokens. And I just remember going back the next day, asking if there were more jobs to do. And eventually uh, I started selling sporting equipment, baseball equipment, hockey equipment out of their pro shop there uh, and ended up doing that until I graduated high school. I knew absolutely nothing about baseball, but somehow became pretty good at selling baseball bats and kind of reading the labels on them and listening to the owners and hearing the talking points they would use and uh, ended up outselling the owners of the shop. And I think that's probably when I really realized that uh, selling was something that I enjoyed and, and was pretty good at. Well, let's let's transition into the the topic of the day here, which is scripting out a sales process. I'm curious why you chose because I always give our guests obviously the choice of what topic that they're most passionate about and what they want sure. to talk about. Why that topic for you? I think it's probably the most important topic. If I have to think back to, you know, I've been a VP of sales this is my second role as a VP of sales. And when you're hiring in the masses, uh, there's nothing more important than not just scripting the words of the cold call or whatnot, but the entire process, right? Putting together your entire playbook. And this was something that I learned very early on. I was fortunate to, in my first sales role uh, at Single Platform, my VP of sales, Adam Liebman, this is the way I was taught from day one, was to have a very rigid, a very scripted process. And that company ended up getting acquired for $100 million. They went from 10 to about 100 salespeople in less than a year. And you know, after seeing that work and knowing that it works, uh, for me, there was never any question that that was the right way to do it. And yeah, I think there's nothing more important than being able to do that. And it's not just about putting the right words down on paper. It is about finding a process that not only works for your best salesperson, but that can work for anyone that you hire, right? And I think that's where a lot of salespeople get it wrong, or a lot of people who aspire to be a sales leader, they don't fully understand it, or the reps who like to kind of challenge back that they can have a better way to do it than the scripted process. They lose sight of the fact that it's not just about what works for a great salesperson. It's about what you can make work at scale. And so for me, it's a hot topic. You know, I always say that, uh, Great salespeople can make anything work, but great sales leaders, they will find something that works for anyone. Yeah, I love all of your statement. It's about what you can make work at scale. One of my favorite quotes was from a CEO I worked for who said, you can't scale suck. And <laughs> he said it a bunch of times I didn't understand. And then finally, I went and asked him. And now it's obvious to me. But if you have something that, that just does not work, even in the, in the smaller teams, then if you try to scale that up, it's not going to work. I'm totally with you on that one. Let's say you start out with two salespeople, they figure out a process, they have something that works for them, you start to document it, and then you hire your next cohort of maybe five more people, and you try to roll out that process to them. That's when you start to learn, does this process really work for more people, or does it only work for, for those two people? And then you can start to fine-tune it. And this is the most important part about documenting it. There's a lot of benefits, right? You can train people up quickly, they have the roadmap, they can see exactly what they need to do. But when you really talk about scaling a team, team, you need to be able to constantly fine tune it. And the only way you can do that is if you're measuring the impact of little changes at a time. And without a documented process, it's impossible to just test one small change at a time, 
right? If you have uh, 10 or 20 or 50 or however many salespeople out there, they're all saying different things. They're all following a different process. And each month you're looking at your funnel metrics and you're trying to be VP of sales and you, you think you're analyzing what you're doing. You're reading data that's coming from a million different sources. And you can't actually make any sense of that. Whereas if everything's scripted and it doesn't mean that your salespeople are robots, it doesn't mean you're not teaching them to think dynamically and to fill in the blanks and tailor the process to who they're speaking to, that all comes along with it. But if you're able to test one change to the process, uh, whether it's a new opening line for your cold call or whether it's uh, changing the the order of your sales process or involving a second person in a certain stage of the process, whatever it is, if you can test it one piece at a time, measure it for two weeks, four weeks, you can actually see the impact of that exact change. The same way that marketing teams you know, will make a tiny change to a button on your website and they measure the difference of that. You know, That's the science of scaling a team. And I, I can't imagine how anyone does it without that you probably get to a point where the way you're scaling the business is just hiring more people. And I don't think that that's the right move. You need to find a process that can scale a little bit, scale it, get a nice team together. But then you need to pause on the, on the scaling in terms of hiring. And you need to fine tune the process before you go through that next phase of rapid hiring. I think a lot of people get that wrong. So for me, again, it all comes back to scripting to do that effectively. I'm always trying to think of what questions listeners will have at a particular point in the conversation. And for me, the question I have is process is a rather broad and abstract thing. So maybe if you can give us a little context around who single platform was, were you selling to the enterprise? Were you selling to mid-market? What, what, what was the nature of that? And then we can drill into the real question I have, which is what was the process there? And then we'll think about how you've evolved that as you've continued your journey through the, the world of sales leadership. Single Platform was selling or is selling a menu service, a syndication service. So basically what they did, if you go on a, a website like Google or Yelp or Yahoo or TripAdvisor and you're researching a restaurant, today you take for granted that there's usually a button there that says view menu. And you click on the button and you can see the menu. Back in before 2012, before the CEO founded this company, there was no way for a restaurant to easily update their menu on all of these sites. They usually would have photographs or PDFs of it. So if you made a change to your chicken parm or, or your pizza or whatever, uh, you'd have to log into all of these sites and update these menus. And obviously, no one ever did that. So it was impossible for customers to find accurate menu information on all of these sites. So he came up with this idea to partner with all of the sites that restaurants have business listings on, you know, Yelp, Yahoo, Google, TripAdvisor, and to provide this tiny little button that just says view menu and create single platform where the restaurant owner can log in and manage their, their menu, manage their specials. They can put, you know, today's soup of the day, what have you, uh, and just click publish and it immediately updates on all of these different sites. So eventually they scaled out into different verticals. You could have a, a barber shop that puts the prices of their haircuts or yoga studios, salons, landscapers, etc. cetera. Uh, and so in terms of the sales process, that was the most scripted sales process that, that I've seen in the three companies that I've worked for. And the reason we were able to get away with that was we were selling something that was very specific. We were selling to one vertical and the process was incredibly simple because at the time we were selling it, it was a single feature product, right? You were going to get your menu onto all of these sites and that's it. 
It's that simple. And the value was very clear. Uh, and so I'd assume hyper transactional and very short sales cycles, extremely short sales cycles. You're talking, uh, could be one day, could be three days, probably no more than a week. And in most cases, yes, very transactional salesperson could be closing upwards of 20 deals. We had to close a deal a day was our, our quota basically. What was the core progression of the process? What did salespeople have to follow? So here's the metrics, right? We had to make 200 minutes of talk time a day, which was roughly probably making anywhere from 50 to 100 cold calls. You're scheduling 10 meetings a day for the next day. We were running about five a day and then closing about one deal a day. So those were our metrics. 200 minutes, uh, schedule 10 meetings for tomorrow, hold five meetings today and close one sale. I eventually took over sales training there. In the 10 months I did that, I hired over 150 salespeople. Uh, we were hiring 10 to 15, sometimes 20 a month. And so it was really straightforward. And it was because they followed the process. And this is why I became you know, such a believer in this type of process was the people who came in and believed in it and followed it and stuck to it they were successful. Doesn't mean there weren't the anomalies who come in and you know they refuse to listen and they do things their own way and some of them find success, but the most successful people were the people who followed the process. At least 98% of the people were rigidly following the process because they knew that it worked. How did you actually ensure that they were following that? How did you audit that? There was a lot of management, right? So for, for every eight to 10 reps, there was a manager there. And all the managers did was they were listening to phone calls all day. They were plugged in. We were often jumping in and talking in on the calls. So it was a constant coaching, constant training environment. If you were not following one line on the script, uh, you were probably corrected right after that call. So there, there wasn't much room to get away from it. But to be honest with you, it didn't require a massive level of like enforcement. And this is where, you know, I think Adam managed to, when I started there, there were maybe 20-ish salespeople. And there was already almost like this, this word maybe has a bad connotation, but like this cultish belief in the script when we got there that people just wanted to follow it because they knew they were going to make money if they did follow it. You said it was very scripted. So it was scripted in terms of the way that they would open their calls, the way that they would handle questions. The entire process was scripted from the cold call to the actual pitch. So it was kind of a three-step process. So we would make the cold call, try to schedule the meeting for the next day. Next day, we'd get on the phone with them and we would run through uh, about a 15 to 20 minute pitch of what single platform was and why they should use it. And at the very end of that, you know, we were either signing them up on the spot or signing them up the next day. And that was it. Then you're on to, onto the next one. It was, it was a pretty simple value prop, right? If you tell a restaurant owner, hey, would you agree with me that people are running searches on Google and Yelp and Yahoo to find restaurants? Yes, right? Who says no to that? Would you agree with me they'd be more likely to pick your restaurant if they could see your menu versus just your name, address, and phone number? Yes. Okay. 49 bucks a month. Let's let's get it started, right? So uh, it was very transactional in that sense. There, there were limited objections that you could come up against. So it was really easy to be scripted because the objections that would be there was probably a list of five or 10 that you would hear on every single call. And so it, it made it very simple to script it. So if you fast forward to, to Aircall, right, where, where you're at now, how have you evolved your thinking about sales process and matured your thinking about sales process? Sure. So the evolution uh, as of me becoming a VP of sales after I left single platform, uh, I left there very close-minded. And obviously at the time, I didn't know it. And I went on to a company called Doctor.com who sold 
a relatively similar product. We actually had the same sort of publishing network as single platform had, but for doctors, and we weren't publishing menus, we were publishing their patient reviews. And so it was a very similar product, but we were selling into an entirely different industry at a very different price point. And I went in there thinking, well, I can just kind of rubber stamp everything that I learned at single platform and it's going to work. I already saw it work. We sold this to not only restaurants, I had evolved it into 20 plus different verticals with the same process. Uh, the only one I hadn't done was healthcare. Uh, and I naively you know, thought uh, that I can go rubber stamp it. So about six months into it, I realized that that was absolutely not the case. And selling into the healthcare space was entirely, entirely different. And you had to learn the nuances of each individual, you know, selling to a dentist, very different than selling to a plastic surgeon. The personas, the personalities that you're dealing with are incredibly different. And the complexities of the product, the reviews was just one, one feature, so to speak. And so once I got into selling products that had more than one feature, which is usually what people are selling. Once I got into that is where it gets a lot more difficult to be 100% rigid with the scripting, so to speak, of the pitch uh, and the objections, et cetera. And you have to then start to evolve to, I think, a bit of a looser process where there are areas that the rep is thinking dynamically, where they're kind of going off script, but then going back to it. And that's where just a much higher level of training and experience comes into play for the reps to really make it work. And so leading into now I'm at AirCall, which is even a much more complicated product. We integrate into upwards of 100 integrations integrations uh, by the end of this year. And in order to sell a product like that, you know, our reps not only need to understand air call, they need to understand every integration. And you couldn't possibly script all of those questions out or all of those answers or all of those pitches. And so it's a whole different world. And so we do have our processes scripted. We do have all of the steps of the process are very clearly outlined. And for you know a new account executive who comes in, they do have something that if they wanted to, they could read verbatim. But if they were doing that, they would not be successful. You have to be able to think dynamic and, and go off script. And so I, now I look at the script quite differently which is it's more of a starting point. And as the rep gets better and they start to become confident going off of that script, they should, and, and I would encourage it. And so the better they get, the more they can do that. But uh, at the end of the day, that starting point is, is the foundation that you should always stick to. I did play basketball when I was younger, and it reminds me of how I learned to play, which was, you know, you, you, there are plays. And when I was first learning, you, you're instructed to go here, move there, wait three seconds, move there, right? But then the idea is that over time, as you, as you gain proficiency with the plays, then you deviate from that as the situation requires. And it's the same thing in sales, right? That you've got your scripts and processes and steps and so on, and then you adapt that. But the alternative is to start with nothing, right? Which is terrible. Exactly. Exactly. And and yes. And that's why, you know, if, if someone new comes in and we we teach them the process, we teach them the script, like we try to push them to really stick to it until they've in a sense earned the right to go off of it. You know, one thing I'm you're never gonna see me do is try to coach someone to get back on the script if they're crushing their goal and they're signing up good deals. But if you're missing your goal and you're going off of the playbook, so to speak, yeah, you're probably gonna have a sit down with with your manager and they're gonna tell you to get back to the process. I think another benefit to that is it it opens the doors to us learning about new things, right? You get that rep who just becomes so good that they start doing something that you didn't think of. And then you can now go backwards and work that into the script that you teach to to the new hires, which is an added benefit of letting your senior reps have that freedom. We've interchanged script and process, but I know process 
for both of us is so much more than scripting. What are the other elements that you are, uh, I want to use the word prescriptive about besides the things that people say when they are on various stages of, of the sales cycle? Yeah, I guess high level, it's what you're trying to accomplish in in each stage, right? So for Aircall, for example, uh, we will not, we won't even let somebody sign up for Aircall unless they've done a thorough uh, free trial of the product. It's a phone system. You, there's a lot of things that go into it. We have to make sure their hardware is is working. We have to make sure they have the right hardware in terms of their laptops, their headsets, uh, that they have good internet connection, and that the service is even going to work well for them. So for us, a lot of our process is very consultative. It's back getting them set up on that trial, helping them set up the integration, et cetera. And so they have to accomplish different things on each call. And so from a higher level, it's knowing, okay, I'm going into this one call. There's This is a small account. There's less than 10 people who are going to be on the phone. So I'm going to accomplish probably more on this call. I might be able to skip a couple steps in the process. Whereas maybe if I'm talking to an account that uh, potentially over 100 or 200 users, and they're going to have multiple stakeholders involved, you know, you're going to have now a different process where you're going to probably stretch it out over the course of, of more calls, you're going to do more discovery, etc. So to me, it's, it's not just about scripting out the words, it's understanding the correct flow of the process, not only for you, but for the buyer, what's ideal for them, and, and what's going to help them get through that journey smoothly without having to backtrack where you could screw that up is if you try to rush through everything on the first call with the one person, you get them into the trial, again, using Aircall as the example, and two weeks into that, you find out there's four other stakeholders in the company that need to see the same thing. And now you have to go back and and do everything twice. And so, you know, that's an example of where following that process, not just the script, but following that high level process and making sure the process you're following is right for that size customer because it can be different. That's where you're going to save time, have the most efficient process. And ultimately, the the number one most important thing is just making it a pleasant buying experience for the customer. I love the fact that you, you insist that your product works for people before you will sell it to them. So many SaaS solutions don't actually do that and it causes headaches post, post-sale. Oh, yeah. I'd love for you to share with people how they can get in touch with you. And even before you do that, I will say you are all over my LinkedIn feed in a really, really good way with <laughs> value added tips. I think, I don't know if you do it every day. So, you know, as you tell people how to get in touch with you or learn about Aircall, just give us a minute or two on your amazing LinkedIn game. So I used to think it was kind of corny, people who posted, you know, tips and stuff, to be honest with you. And I had a call with uh, Dan Swift from Empire Selling. He was an executive uh, at LinkedIn, and then he started doing his own consulting. And he focuses mostly on training sales teams how to use social, right? Particularly LinkedIn into their sales process. And so I'm always evaluating different consultants or training programs, etc. And I took a call with him and, and challenged him a bit. I'm going to spend all this time. I don't have time to be on LinkedIn all the time. Nobody wants to hear from me. Who am I, right? And he's like, you'd be surprised, right? If, if you're able to train 50 to 100 or however many hundreds of salespeople you've trained, there's probably a lot of people do want to hear from you. And he challenged me. He said, download this app called Buffer, where you can schedule out your posts on LinkedIn and put one or two out every single day and do it for 30 days and tell me if you, know, if you get any sort of reaction to it. And so I did it. And I turned out, that people want to want to hear that stuff and and they like it and you know I started asking myself why am I doing this and 
I didn't really have a clear answer until I would say this last two months when we hired our first big cohort of SDRs since I joined Aircall. And as we were going through the interview process, almost every single one of them mentioned the content that they've seen either myself or, or one of our other sales leaders here put out on LinkedIn. And that's when I realized for me uh, that there actually is value in doing this, not just because it's amazing to help people and I love talking about sales and I could go on and on about it all day long. But the most important objective for me here is to hire the best people. That's how we're going to build a great company here. And being able to do that at scale and in the masses is really tough, right? The job market is is not in the favor of the business today. It's in the favor of the candidate. They have many, many options. And so what I've what I learned through this and what was eye-opening for me when I started these interviews was realizing that they were coming into the interview with already a very good sense of who I was, how I viewed sales, and the type of leadership and training that they would get in this organization. And that was a huge advantage to attracting a lot of top talent. So for me, if there's one reason to do it outside of obviously the joy of, of helping people and just talking about something I love talking about, it's it's the benefit of being able to translate that into attracting really, really, really good talent. Brilliant. So obviously people can find you on LinkedIn. And then Aircall, what is Aircall's URL? Aircall.io. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 